Listeners, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Metrosite. I'm Beth Schultz, VP of Research and Principal Analyst at Metrogy. And with me today is Andy Rhodes. Andy is the Division President, Hybrid Systems at HP. And he is joining me to share some insights from a global study that HP conducted this year with the mission of understanding how employees feel about work. Toward that end, HP surveyed more than 12,000 knowledge workers plus 3,600 IT decision makers and 1,200 business leaders across 12 countries. So a very massive project. Um, and as a result, HP publish, published its findings in its first ever work relationship index. Andy, welcome. Thanks, Beth, and uh, great to see you again. And thanks for having me on the show. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Now, let's just start off quickly. What is your role at, at HP and sort of, you know, what's your relationship with the Work Relationship Index? Yeah, sure, sure. So at HP, um, I'm responsible for all of the products and services we have that surround our PC to create a great ecosystem for hybrid work. So think about all of the um, uh, uh, video products, so webcams, headsets, keyboard, mice, um, bags, everything that someone needs around a PC to get work done. And that extends all the way into the office, uh, not just at our home offices uh, or on the go. Um, as we know, everyone works in many places, but also in the conference room themselves. So uh, we made an acquisition of uh, a company called Poly uh, a year ago, and Poly is part of my uh, organization. Okay. And we're certainly familiar with, with Poly here at Metrogy, um, with all of the video conferencing. Um, and, and headset, et cetera, uh, devices. So let's move on to the project itself. What motivated HP to, to take this, to, to undertake this survey, and why now? Well, I think why, why now is because the world has massively changed in the last four years. Mm -hmm. um, everyone knows that, that's not new, new news. Um, but if you think about, you know, the, the debate that's been raging really in the last year and a half since COVID restrictions, you know, um, were lifted across the world, a lot of that discussion has been around where we work. Um, yeah. And we realize that that's just not enough. We realize that HP, given our background and our history, is steeped in um, sort of this relationship between our company and our employees. In fact, Bill Hewlett, Dave Packard, pioneered lots of new ways of working, named it the HP way 80 years ago. But we realized that the conversation had to get beyond where we work and why we work and how we work was just as important. So I think the reason that we've done this study is to get more insights for ourselves as a big, big company employer, but also for on behalf of our customers and the whole community to see what else is impacting the relationship that people have. It's definitely not just about where, it's about how it's about why. Okay, now Metrogy 
you know, MetroData looks at employee experience, we look at workplace collaboration, so on. And our data shows that most companies have either, you know, as a result of the, the pandemic and the work from home versus hybrid work, et cetera, that they've either launched or they've re revamped an employee experience initiative, you know, to specifically to address work from home, remote work, et cetera, and kind of all those changing workplace dynamics. So, um, the work relationship index shows that, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, but it shows that the relationship that, that employees have with work is, is pretty unhealthy, um, despite all this effort that companies are putting into employee experience. So I have a couple of questions. First, what are the characteristics of a healthy versus an unhealthy work relationship? And then in terms of that unhealthiness, you know, what are companies getting wrong? You know, what's, what's happening? Why, why are we still seeing such unhealthiness in the workforce? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think the interesting thing is that as, if you really dig into the study and if you're a data hound like I am, like you want to go deep and you really want to cut it multiple different ways. But there's 50 kind of factors in our research that really then ladded up to identify six major drivers. And I think uh, employees have to tackle all six, not just one or two of them, to really like create this this um, uh, this work index, and only twenty seven percent of people are actually happy at work. Twenty seven. So that means seventy three percent have a somewhat unhealthy relationship. But if you unpack all of those reasons, let me go through a couple of them uh, with you. Um, and again, there's been many studies over the years around these, so we're not saying anything like radically different. It's just bringing it all together in one survey. The first is that what people want is finding meanness, meaning and purpose in their work. Um, and so it's fulfillment, you know, first attribute fulfillment. That's not about where you work or how you work. It's about why. I talked about this notion of why. What gives them purpose? What brings them to work every day? What gets them excited? Um, and so that's one that, that, that no one can ignore. Um, and, and feeling useful and feeling empowered when they have that meaning with the work that they do. So that's number one. The second is all centered around, you know, us as leaders. Are we leading with empathy? And are we leading with this notion of emotional connection? And that's really what drives trust between, you know, people that work and the employees or the senior leadership uh, inside of those companies. And it, it's more than just saying that you're going to do that. It's about demonstrating it through behavior and action. Um, and that really comes down to the culture of a company and, and, and is this empathy and emotional connection part of the culture that, that they espouse. And very connected with that is people's centricity. Is the company putting the, the thoughts of people and community um, you know, at the forefront of many of the decisions that they make? And many of us you know, work for for-profit organizations, and so the P&L is, is incredibly important, but are you going about it the right way? Do you have your employees, you know, best interests in mind as you make decisions along that? Interestingly enough, what came out, you know, was skills. Are people learning the new skills that they think they need and are going to need in this next generation um, of, um, of how we work? Um, and one that comes to mind because it's so topical right now that I hear all the time is, 
AI. Is AI going to replace my job? Um, mm -hmm. How do I get skilled on AI? So there's a fear factor there a little bit on new technology that I'll get to. But also the companies that we see been successful with this index are the ones that do place an emphasis on reskilling, upskilling, allowing both the hard skills that people need and the soft skills in, in, in a world that you know, has a lot of um, unknowns. Like the world we live in has a lot of unknowns. So skills was a, as a new one. And so placing emphasis on that, continuing to develop people in role, not being scared that if you develop someone in these new skills that then you're just, you know, enhancing their sellability to, to other companies. The ones that aren't a surprise to me, and it's, it's what I deal with every single day is tools and workspace. So those are the last two, you know, tools being the right technology, the right equipment, um, the right space for them to be uh, successful and the training around those tool sets. I mean, it's pretty clear that two things are happening here on the tool side. One is um, if you don't give the right tools to people, they feel they can't do their job and then they question whether they're, they're at the right company. Because if you can't do your job, then you know that the company won't be successful or you individually won't be successful. The second that what we've really seen with the consumerization of technology over the last 10 years is that tech has um, a tech that you put in people's hands shows their, their worth within the company. <laughs> so if you give them a ugly, fat, um, you know, low end PC, then that's the worth that you're putting on that employee. And so, you know, the things that they can get now out of consumerization of technology you know, um, it's is high. And so they have this expectation of, um, you know, the, the set of tools they use, whether it's, you know, at home on the go or in the in the office, their expectations are much higher because it, it, it maps with their self worth. And then the last is workspace. And this is one that's got so much air cover over the last, you know, year or so. Mm -hmm. This is the, you know, do we trust employees to work in multiple places? Do we have the right policies? And do we enable them to work from home or on the go or back in the office? And, you know, there's so much research and so much debate on what is the right um, policies there. And my personal view, running a relatively large, you know, organization is that um, you need flexibility and it has to be hybrid. Um, and so when I mean flexibility is that different job roles, different cultures, different parts of the world will dictate, you know, different types of policies, but you have to be consistent. Um, and then the reality is that organizations don't operate like an org chart. <laughs> There's an operations model and an organizational chart model. And so you can't just do it for your specific people that you manage directly. This workspace um, policy has to be done thinking about how companies actually operate, not how they're organized. So those are the, the, the other ones. I think the unhealthy relationships is where we see that they lack things like that. They lack emotional support. They lack um, fulfillment and meaning in the workplace. They're too strict on policies. Those are what are creating this unhealthy relationship. And those are the things that uh, that people can um, uh, can work on. And, and what was surprising in my last point, because I know I've gone long and passionate about this one, but my last point is, again, coming back to the data, 83% of the knowledge workers said they're willing to actually earn less to be happier at work. So there is actually a direct correlation here between the economics of it and, and allowing this to happen. Now, would they actually accept that if, if, if you know, push came to shove? Maybe not. But it's a clear indication of just how meaningful this is versus just compensation.
Yeah, I mean that's eighty three percent. That's a that's you know that's a big chunk of of workers saying that. So, um, so let let's dig into these each not all of them but a few of them a little bit more. And I want to start with sort of that traditional thought of bringing together people, processes, and technology. That's you know long been touted as sort of the key for business success. Now, based on the the um, research that you guys have done, is that still, I mean, can you sort of summarize that as still being a desirable goal? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of Maslow hierarchy of needs um, at play here as well. So, um, you know, it's not one or the other. And I, I fundamentally believe that it starts with employing the right people with the right talent. You have to have a set of processes that allow you to, you know, deliver on your um, executables. Um, too much process then leads to uh, lack of innovation. We've seen that. Um, um, but uh, too little process can also lead to, you know, a lack of, uh, of productivity. So there's a huge balance there. And, you know, given that we're HP, and of course, we, we believe, but everyone else does, that technology is, is radically important, radically important. But you can get all of those things right and still fail in terms of the relationship that you have with your employee base. And so this is where I think there is this more focus. And, and as, as, as leaders, we think about just the word productivity, and it's very clinical. Um, but you think about these other attributes we talked about, meaning, um, and I'll, I'll share some anecdotes from my own experience. Um, I think people don't just care about work and meaning, but they care about the communities that, they're, 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 that they live in. Um, a part of that community is, you know, the people they work with, so their peers. Part of that community is connecting themselves with, you know, schools and local resources and local charities. Um, and we did something recently, which was an eye-opener for me uh, here in Austin, Texas, um, we had a bring bring your kids to work day. That's pretty common. And I actually got a huge amount of um, requests if people could bring their parents to work day. Oh, <laughs> nice. It started <laughs> off as a bring your parents to work because, you know, they were with the kids. It was during the, the holiday vacation period. But actually what we found is that people were so proud to show their parents where they worked in this high technology environment, what they specifically did every day. And so I think about this community aspect, um, it's so, so valuable. And, and so it's just re remembering that we're all people at the end of the day and we, we have these, you know, these, these backend teams that we rely on, like our family, like our communities. And I think that's some, somewhat overlooked, you know, in, in, in many cases. So yes, people process technology, still critical, still desirable, but you have to inject these other things on top of that as well. It is so fantastic when the company becomes really shows an appreciation of the community, right, and, and gets gets involved in in all of those uh, you know those community efforts that employees undertake. Um, I want to ask a little bit more about leadership. You, you talked about leadership, the importance of leadership, a couple times. You talked about um, you know having leaders uh, who are empathetic, who can establish a sort of emotional connectedness. Does that in your opinion, does that require sort of elevating um, elevating that type of leader to a C-level position, you know, somebody that maybe is the chief employee um, experience officer, maybe 
employee engagement officer, sort of, and not only giving them that position, but then empowering them with budget and staff and technology to really drive change and sort of help everybody, you know, all leaders throughout a company develop that empathy and and emotional uh, connectedness. Yeah, Beth, I think we're veering a little bit away from what's in the the study and the data. So I'll give you my own personal uh, opinion on this versus the study, you know, telling us uh, what's right or wrong on that that specific question. And um, but I think I think there's elements of this in the data if you if you extract it and and, and look at it. I think that uh, a chief employee experience or engagement officer can help. You know, they can help. They can help set policies. They can help understand you know, the culture of the organization, they can look at metrics, you know, they can take that data and that metrics and share it with the C-suite. But ultimately, that is not the panacea or the only thing that that, that, that will allow, you know, this engagement with employees to, to change. It has to be ingrained in the culture, lived, breathed, um, and then executed upon. And you cannot rely on one person to do that. Um, and so my personal view is, that, you know, it's everybody's responsibility because it's a cultural element and you can't have a single individual or department responsible for the whole company. I think that where they play a massive role, you know, in the, you know, uh, HR department or beyond is to help the rest of the organization, you know, establish how you measure, how you metric, how you improve, you know, what are some of the specific programs but for me, this has to be driven into the purpose of the organization. And then you have to employ the right leaders or you train the right leaders to ensure that those um, cultural uh, elements are espoused in, in the way that people work every single day. So again, it helps, but it's not the panacea. It's not the thing that's gonna go fix it. It's all about the culture. And that culture is set by a leadership team, but it's mm-hmm. executed by everyone, whether you are you know, running, you know, thousands of people and uh, responsible for thousands or where you're an individual contributor in a company, it's just as important to have that connection with the culture and believe in it to make these kind of changes and make people have meaning meaning in their work and appreciate those communities that we talked about. And then, and then it's also about like where, where these people can help is looking at this these metrics, looking at this this work study we've done, establishing you know use our framework use another framework but just like let's take skills again you know um where is the budget for that is the budget you know prioritized um is it happening are leaders giving people then the room to go reskill and learn and take their you know time out of their busy day-to-day lives all of those things need to happen and and so measuring and metricing that can always help but it has to come from 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 the top and it has to also come from people understanding that that's what they want out of a workplace. I I think you're sort of getting to one of the, one of the, another question that I had, which is going back to that people centricity. So you talk about leaders, but then you also talk about people being at the heart of uh, decision-making within an organization. But I don't know, sometimes that can smack as being sort of a lofty, like, how do you, how do you make that? How does that work? How do you make it actionable? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, coming back to the data um, and actually one of the, the surprises in the data was that there was a huge discrepancy between what managers thought and what people thought on many of these attributes. <laughs> um, hmm. And I, I'm throwing it in here to sort of come back to answer your question because 
just one in four that's take knowledge workers consistently sees their employees treating them, you know, as valued and respected, <laughs> um, as opposed to just being a number one in four, like that's a terrible like percentage. Um, and so action is at the heart of this. You're right. Like you have to have action because there's such a discrepancy between those, those two, those two numbers. I, I think it is actionable. I mean, I think one is really starting to, to listen uh, and understand why there is that gap between whether people think they've been treated as a number and not been treated with the dignity they want um, and the uh, impression that they have from, from managers and, and leaders in the company. It all starts there because it's going to be different in every single company. So we didn't go into you know what, what is creating that gap. We just know there's a gap there. So I think the action starts with a really good dialogue with employees, whether it's through you know, surveys, roundtables, skip levels is to understand in each of, of, of the companies that, you know, that we work with or, or if people are listening here, um, go dive deep into that and understand what the meaning is. Because you can't action it unless you understand what is creating it. Is it the culture? Is it, you know, in specific parts of the org because of, you know, maybe one or two specific leaders? Um, you know, is it that... Um, that the, the, the company has policies, it's just not well known. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, all part of it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I always, you know, having had two kids, you know, <laughs> um, my son just got married. So my two kids are, are now gone and, and out of the home. But, um, mm -hmm. but I always remember that, you know, it, they, they never learned, and this is a cliche, they never learned from what you said, they learned from what you did. And, I think that has to be a deep part of this is that people are looking to leaders in terms of actions, not in terms of rhetoric. And in this period of time, more than ever, with so much uncertainty in the world, you know, the the time for, for talk is sort of over somewhat. And so everyone is looking more than ever at the actions that we take and the decisions that we make, especially in a very, very um, you know, tough economic and and uh, and political environment that we're living in. I like that actions, not rhetoric. And congratulations to your son. <laughs> um, okay, so let let's talk about tools now. Obviously, this is kind of HP's baby, right? And if I'm not mistake, mistaken, the the study showed that knowledge workers that they're not feeling super great about the tools that, that they're not feeling like they have all of the right tools and equipment to be successful especially in a hybrid environment um where staying connected and feeling connected aren't aren't you know they're not the same thing so what does hp do with the insight that it's gleaned from the study in terms of its own product and product roadmaps and how it works with enterprises yeah um well, number one, this is one I think we had a, a very clear, definitive, you know, opinion on before and after the data, and the data validated exactly what we knew, which is that um, I think, you know, depending on where you are around the world, because, you know, the world's a big place and there's lots of, of deltas, but on the whole, you know, during COVID, no one had the right tools to work from home. And I too believe that IT um, and business leaders did an incredible job, incredible job. Um, just as a community and getting people back into um, uh, productivity at home during those early days of, of COVID. And then through a two-year period, we built up, I think, pretty good 
ways of, of working from home. You know, we have two displays, we have docking stations, good keyboards, lots of great video. I'm actually working from home today. I usually work in the office three days a week, but uh, today I, I was working from home because of that flexibility that we've got. Um, and so I think we've built a pretty good in general, you know, at home um, set of tools and, and criteria, including cloud computing and all the ability and and great, um, you know, uh, unified communication platforms like Zoom and, um, and and Microsoft Teams. You know, the world has has done well in, in getting that. Now, as we've come out of the work from home, hybrid is not work from home. <laughs> I always say that. So, like, hybrid is not work from home. Now, people are realizing that you know the office is anywhere. I call it the anywhere office. It could be here in my um, you know home office. By the way, many people don't you know, have that. They're, 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 they're competing for scarce real estate in homes like the couch um, or little private <laughs> places. Like I always said during COVID, the most valuable asset was internet and peace, you know, a place to like to, to, to focus. Um, and that was the, the scarce real estate within the home. That's sort of gone away because kids are back at school and, you know, people. Um, but I think what the next chapter is, is now people are going back into offices and they're realizing that the tech in offices is like three or four years behind where the tech was in their homes. And so they've been asked to go back to collaborate, work together, build more trust. There's something still about, you know, the technology we have is great, but um, but the, the ability to, you know, drive trust and drive relationships, you still need that face-to-face -face time, uh, not all the time. And then people are going back to the office and they're finding that the tech is not good enough. It's four or five years old and... The technology has, has has moved on, so that's what we that's where we come in as HP. Mm -hmm. You know, especially with the Poly acquisition, Poly is all about being seen and being heard, and no thought or no voice being left behind, so that you have this meeting equity, whether people are in the office at home, and there's great new feature sets like you know face framing. Like if you see modern cameras in the office, they can split, you know, multiple people with the cameras and actually face frame so that. Everyone is seen if you're at the back of the room, you know, you're not this tiny little, you know, uh, um, voice or face that no one can actually see the expressions that you have. So I think that's where we come in is, is with our roadmaps. We've already had those is to continue to drive meeting equity wherever people work and make sure that no voice um, or no idea because a voice is really a conduit for idea is left behind. That, that's great. No, no voice, no idea left behind. Love it. Um, given us a lot to think about already today, Andy, any last um, takeaways or last thoughts to share with our, our listeners? I think the first is the time to act is right now as a, as, a, as a leader of people or an organization or, you know, just a leader doesn't have to manage people. And I say the time to act is right now is that we do hear this new dialogue that in a down economy, the power, so to speak, is shifts from employees to employers. And, and it's a horrible way to think about it because, um, you know, there's always cycles in the economy and it's not about down economies, up economies and who has the upper hand, so to speak. So I think now is the time to, to look at this data, to reflect on it and to have a dialogue across business leaders whether it's in IT or knowledge workers or, you know, at the board level um, and really see what, you know, each company is doing and having a meaningful conversation uh, in the business, with the business, with the employee base 
and see where you score on, on many of these attributes. So yeah, my last thought is act now, <laughs> you know, um, take the data, have a look at it and, and open the dialogue and see how this data can help you improve that relationship. So Andy, where can uh, listeners get the data? Well, it's real simple. If you just go to hp.com, um, it's featured on our homepage there. So they can access our website. It's fully available and downloadable for, for anyone to get hold of. And we will refresh that on a yearly basis. Excellent. I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, we'll be able to track this over time and hopefully we'll see some improvements. Exactly. Um, so with that, Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, really fascinating research. I appreciate you taking the time out to share with us. My pleasure. Thanks again, Beth. Okay. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please do watch this channel for our next episode and check out all of our latest content on our website at www.metrogy.com. And if you'd like to hear more about our employee experience research, please feel free to get in touch. Till next time, take care, everybody.